0: Welcome to the 80s and 90s Uncensored, the podcast about the 80s and 90s for people who care about that. Crap, because Jamie didn't like my attempt at a new intro. I am Milo Dennison. I'm
1: Jamie Fenderson, and today we're talking about
0: Reservoir Dogs. Turns 30 this year, 1992, when that movie came out.
1: Yeah, can you believe it? It's turning 30. That means people who were born when Reservoir Dogs came out are also turning 30, which always freaks me out because... Now people born in the nineties are kind of like on the March to middle age themselves. And I'm like, Oh man, that means I'm like getting past that middle age, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting it like past middle age, man. What's going on here. That's not cool. That's not fair.
0: Yeah. So reservoir dogs was basically the world's introduction to Quentin Tarantino. He had written films that were made prior to this, but this was his first writing and directing film I saw this in Spokane. A guy I was working with basically was like, hey, man, you want to go see this film? And we went and saw it at this tiny ass little theater that isn't there anymore. And it was the, the like art house cinema where you saw all the weird films. It's, they did Rocky Horror Picture Show on Saturday nights kind of place. And we went there and saw it and was like, dude, this is brilliant. I was an instant fan of Tarantino after watching that and have seen every movie he's done since.
1: Well, I think everybody kind of became a fan of Tarantino because a lot lot of people, like a lot of directors have to kind of work up to become kind of famous and good. They have to go through their B-movie phase and all of this. But he just bypassed all that and said, here's my movie. And everybody's like, whoa, here's this guy, Quentin Tarantino. (laughs) He's famous now.
0: On lists of like, you know, top directors who hit it out of the ballpark on their first film. Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs is generally on that list somewhere because uh, of how good of a film it is. You want to give a little summary? Yeah, yeah. Uh, So if you haven't seen it, what the hell is wrong with you?
1: (laughs) Yeah, what's what's up with you, man?
0: (laughs) So it basically follows five guys who are getting ready to... Rob a or not getting ready who have or are getting ready to rob a jeweler's store. So it introduces Tarantino's style of filmmaking, which is often playing it out out of order. So yeah, yeah we'll it's called a down.
1: nonlinear structure where it goes back and forth in time, man. Like yeah, it's really interesting. It's very much his style and it makes you pay attention.
0: Yeah. And he does it really well. Like he gives you the information just at the right points. Uh, in this case, like who was the person that ratted them out to the police kind of a thing. It's you're trying to guess who it was up until that point that it's done. And when it's revealed, it doesn't hurt the film because it's still carrying on the story really well. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily matter that you
1: find out who that person is halfway through the film. No, because there's a lot of momentum, right? Right. Cause it's character driven. Like you got these guys within the, their Mr. Pink and Mr. Blue, Mr. Orange, they all have these color names. Right. And there's just, that's another thing that introduced Tarantino style was the dialogue, just the talk, just the talking, like a lot of it's just talking. Um, but it's really, really, really good dialogue. And it really like, like flushes out the characters. So even though you have a lot of dialogue and then mixed in, you have just like these, flashes of extreme violence and action, but a lot of it's just people talking, <laughs> Which, but it totally works. It's not boring at all. It carries it along.
0: Yeah. Like that opening sequence is an amazing opening sequence. And all it is, is a bunch of guys sitting around a conversation, having a talk about Madonna. What's a Madonna song, and yeah. <laughs> you know, and it introduces all the characters. It sets them up in so many ways as to their type of character and personality that when stuff happens later on in the film, it, it ties back to that original type of that original character. For example, um, Mr. Mr. Mr., um, Who's Tim Roth, Mr. Orange. Yeah. Yes. He's he's the one who's undercover. Yes, exactly. So uh, uh, he he's the one who basically rats out Mr. Pink for not actually paying putting in the tip right so it's like these little little tips as to who this person is but like yeah that just the dialogue is just brilliant it's snappy and and it's smart oh very smart really well written
1: yeah and, and these guys all have their like none of them are really i mean they're all bad guys even mr orange who thinks of himself as the good guy he's really not I mean, he, he's the undercover guy. He thinks he's doing good for society, but then he like shoots a woman trying to like defend herself from a carjacking. He's like, totally, actually, he's not good. And and they all have their own, like, like Mr. White's a psycho. Mr. Blonde is a sociopath. And you really get to know like how kind of bad these guys are. Mr. Pink always trying to find leverage. Mm-hmm. And then how they all interact together. And it sh- kind of shows the how bad humans can be. These are all bad guys doing bad things, man. Yeah, they're criminals.
0: That's the thing. He does a nice job of balancing of characters that you do feel some you know, you're, you're kind of rooting for in a certain way. Like, yeah, Mr. Wright, white, you're kind of rooting for him, but he, you're right. He's a psycho. It's he, he talks about it. He's like, you know what? I'm not going out there looking to shoot somebody, but if they're in my way, fuck yeah, I'll shoot him kind of a thing, you know?
1: Yeah. So he's professional and you can almost like that. He's how loyal he is and you almost want him to work for you. And if it weren't for the fact that he's a psycho, um, he'd be a good employee if he was legit. Right. I don't know about it. Mr. Blonde scares me the most though. Cause he, he just revels in chaos and he actually likes the tour, like that whole ear scene. You could tell he's just, he just, he's having a good time with it. He's the one, he's the one who scares me the most is how sociopathic and how much he revels in, in hurting others.
0: <laughs> and that scene is such an amazing torture scene. It's not,
1: necessarily revealing
0: a whole lot. I mean, you don't actually see the ear getting chopped off. You see uh, after the ear gets chopped off, but the way he plays with it and the music Tarantino uses music in his film, especially like this one and um, Pulp Fiction, the way he yeah. integrates the music into the film is is fantastic. And the, that particular song, for example, took the majority of his music budget. Cause he really wanted to use that song for that scene. And just the way it's shot too, where he's in torture and the guy, and it's this intense moment. And then he goes outside and you just the music change and the whole feel changes and and he gets the gasoline out of the car, and then he goes back in, and then the, the changes again. It's just this intense moment. Uh absolutely brilliant torture scene.
1: Yeah, that's that's revealing about all his future movies too, is how much he can how much tension he can QT can make in his movies, like And they'll be talking about just some random things and you'll, you'll spend minutes and minutes with just people talking, but you know that there's, there's really something tense happening or about to happen. There's a lot of tension. Mm -hmm. It almost, it just makes you kind of like your butt cheeks are just kind of, like making diamonds because you're just like something's gonna happen, but I don't know when because Tarantino just makes these guys talk all, and, and I don't know when things are gonna happen. What's what's gonna happen?
0: That film originally when he was shopping it around, he was really set on directing it himself. And once a producer did actually offer to do it but then was like hey you know i want this person i know to play this role that kind of a thing and he was like no you know I, I want my people and so he was originally planning to shoot it himself for like anywhere between 16,000 to 30,000 and then Harvey Cartel dollars? dollars exactly even in the midnight in the 90s that's nothing that's no money at all right and then um, Harvey Keitel saw the script and was like, I want in and offered to co-produce it. And that's what actually got that budget bumped up to like, I think 1.5 was actually the final budget and allowed them to get such talent in regards to the rest of the cast who all worked for basically scale, you know, minimal income. They used their own suits. The car that's in that scene is actually, um, uh, uh Mr. Orange's car. Yeah. I think it's Mr. Orange's car. I could be wrong on that. Whose car that is. Uh, So like the thing is like, even the actors brought a lot of their own stuff to that film because they, they recognized how good of a film it was and
1: wanted to be in it. That's really cool. And I think that's why he's worked with those actors again in the future. Cause I, I think he must've built a really good relationship with them for that reason.
0: Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, Samuel L. Jackson actually auditioned for one of the roles in this film and Tarantino didn't cast him, but of course he kept him in mind and then put him in uh, Pulp Fiction after that. And basically every film he's done since has had Samuel L. Jackson in it.
1: Yeah. It, to me, it's just interesting because I, you know, I'll be honest, my I forgot this was an indie film because now it's almost like a mainstream thing, but in 92, it totally wasn't because it, it went to the the Sundance Film Festival, which is where like the indie movies go, right? And a little fact about that. So it was kind of the darling of the 1992 Sundance Film Festival. Like everybody was like, what's this? This is an indie film. This guy Tarantino is the bomb. And it, it was the talk of the, the whole thing. But then he <laughs> it didn't win any awards at all. It won went, went zero. What the hell? Too violent, I think. Yeah, I think it really shocked people.
0: Yeah, people, people walked out and, P- and Tarantino has talked about that in screenings. Like people will get up and walk out at the, at the violence of it. Uh, even Wes Craven found that it was too violent, saying that it glorifies violence, which I don't actually think it does. But to whereas Wes Craven's like he he his films kind of look at the horror and violence, not necessarily glorifying. Yeah.
1: Them. Well, I think Wes Craven especially didn't like the torture scene, right? Yeah. It is pretty violent. Well, all of Tarantino's movies are really violent. But here's the thing: it's it's like these brief moments of excessive violence, right? So if you take all the violence in his movies, it's probably like like two percent of the whole movie. I mean, I don't know the exact ratio, but the total time of violence is that excessive violence is actually small, but it pops out at the right time Yeah, because you might have all this dialogue and you start to feel comfortable because you're talking about Madonna and McDonald's or whatever. And then suddenly this like violent thing happens and you're just jerked out of your chair like, what the hell? Um, Because he kind of shocks you in that way. So I don't know. Is it, is it gratuitous violence? Is it excessive violence? Maybe. I mean, you could make that case, but I think it's well done for what it's trying to do.
0: I, yeah, I can understand why people have a problem with the violence in his film and films in general, but I think it works. I don't think it necessarily glorifies violence. And I mean, come on, watch half the action films that are made, you know, horror films like so many films glorify violence or have extreme violence in it. So how is that any this any worse than that? Other than the fact I think this is more impactful, which in turn, I think makes this a better film because you walk out of the cinema thinking, holy crap, that was
1: intense. I think that's why he does it well, because it's not like. I went and saw, you know, Rambo and shoot him up. Oh, all of that; those guys blowing up, woo hoo, yay, fun. And then you go home, you're not disturbed by it. This one, you're kind of a little disturbed by it all, which mm-hmm. you should be. Like violence is dis- should be disturbing, right? If if you're not disturbed from violence, then then it's just an action movie. Yeah, I agree. So this whole thing was filmed in a mortuary. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? Yeah, abandoned mortuary. And, and, in and it was filmed days. in like. In a month. What's basically. that?
0: In a month, basically as well, like very short period of time for film. Wow.
1: That's amazing. But but I guess it was kind of hard because it was filmed in this kind of enclosed mortuary kind of place in like the middle of summer in LA. And I guess it was just super hot and miserable. So, But maybe that added to it because you kind of see like they're kind of hot. It kind of, maybe they look kind of sweaty, like a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe maybe he filmed it that way on purpose.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it was on purpose, but I'm sure it helped. Like I'm sure it was budgetary related to the fact that he just didn't have the money. It's the same reason why he didn't shoot the actual heist. It's like one of the greatest heist films that doesn't actually show the heist. Yeah, and it's like that's true. Yeah, because he you know he didn't really have a lot of money, and so had to kind of focus on what he could do. I uh, was watching an interview with him once and he talked about this film about like, what would it look like if he shot it uh, now? Because now Mm -hmm. he could get the money and do it completely differently. And like, what type of a film would he end up with? I'm I'm glad he's basically said he never will do it because it's, you know, it's great the way it is.
1: Yeah, it is. And sometimes when you don't have a lot of money, that's when you kind of make the best movie sometimes.
0: I agree. I think so many films are much better with lower budgets that force them to focus on being a good film versus a film that can just throw money at whatever the hell it wants.
1: Totally. Because you see a lot of these giant mega blockbusters nowadays and they just throw all this money and special effects and bullshit. And it's just, it's tiring. It's like, ah, what if you had like a fraction of your budget, then you'd have to come up with something a little more original but i think some of the best movies ever made were made on like lower budgets and i think some of the worst ones were made on super high budgets sometimes you can have too much money it's kind of like like if you gave your drunk uncle larry like too much money and he's totally not good with money and his wife usually controls it and stuff but then you give him like a whole bunch of money and he goes out on a rampage and Uncle Larry doesn't need that much money. You just give him a little bit. He's fun, but you give him a whole bunch, he goes on a rampage. And now he's in jail because of all this craziness. Well, we've talked about it on this show, right? Star
0: Trek 2, The Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Brilliant Star Trek movie had a very, very low budget. Yeah, super low. It was was great. And you look at any of the new Star Trek stuff and it's like, pff, you know, just yeah. big budget movement on screen
1: with nothing memorable to come from it. That's right. That's right. You can have too much money making movies. Yep. I got a couple more things that were kind of interesting actually about the cast. Okay. So the real, the Mr. Blue, the actor who played Mr. Blue was a, he was a real criminal. Like he, he actually um, spent most of his life in prison and he was a real bank robber. And he wrote a, he got clean when he was like our age and he wrote a book called little boy blue. And Quentin Tarantino was a fan and cast him. And that's why they call him Mr. Blue based on the book, the real guy wrote.
0: And his response to this is like, this is, I would never work with these people in real life because I don't know any of them and, uh, you know, w- wouldn't work in this situation. So, yeah.
1: And then Lawrence, uh, Turney, the, the older guy, I guess he, in real life, he was kind of a handful. He was kind of a crazy drunk.
0: alcoholic and yeah. memorize his and lines. he was
1: fired the first week. Cause I guess he got into such a huge argument with Quinton that that Quinn fired him, but then brought him back. But then he went out with the with the cast. You know, sometimes they go out drinking, and he just get super drunk and end up with his pants off in the bar and running from like. <laughs> he's kind of an old guy, but you can imagine him like running from the cops, pantsless, <laughs> got arrested. <laughs> It sounds like a scene in the movie, but like, I guess that's what's was going on in like real life for the guy. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. He's a notorious alcoholic and difficult to work with, uh, famous for basically playing gangster types in films prior to this. Well, maybe he's just
1: method acting. Yeah, yeah. And he he lived to be 83. You'd think his liver would fail because he's He's like a heavy drinker and he smokes and he still lived to be 83. So there's hope for me, I guess. Um, and then one other thing was interesting. The title Reservoir Dogs, how did that come about? Uh, there's a couple different stories about how it came about, actually. Yeah, exactly. There's like six different stories about <laughs> and nobody knows like the real one.
0: Yeah. Even Quentin Tarantino has given multiple stories as to how the 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 title came about.
1: Yeah. And I think he's doing that on purpose. Probably. I think he, he knows why, but I think he's pulling like a Garak where he's just like, throwing lies out there to see which one sticks. (laughs) Why not have some fun with it? You know? And then there's a t-shirt that was popular for a while called who shot nice guy, Eddie.
0: And the reason for that is because if you watch the film, when it shows him being shot, it's out of order. And that actually was because the um, whatever it called the, the, the thing that goes off when you're
1: shot went off in the at the wrong time because it was supposed to make sense but the thing was delayed so it looked like someone else shot him whoever like who shot him well, it was supposed to be like known. They were kind of supposed to have shot each other. That's another Quentin Tarantino thing is the Mexican standoffs so where everybody shoots each other and one guy escapes from it that's hiding. <laughs> mm-hmm. he, he stays out of it. Like <laughs> like Mr. Pink, he was totally like hiding and everybody killed each other and he ran off. But then he ended up getting caught by the cops. He's like, oh, well. But yeah, that's the t-shirt is like, because they kept it in because he thought, hmm, if I keep it in, then there'll be some mystery around like who actually shot him. So I'm going to keep it that way. And it worked because people are like, who shot him? Did he quit <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> it? You you watch it multiple. You're like, okay. And the timing. Nope. That doesn't work.
1: So like, yeah, nope. does that work? So there's all these theories about who really shot, um, who, 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 who really shot, um, nice, nice guy, guy Eddie. Eddie, there's the conspiracy theories and stuff around that. So That's why I kind of like Quentin Tarantino, too, is like he'll come up with all these contradictory stories about why he named the movie the title that he did. Then he'll keep stuff in there that was a mistake just to create some mystery. And then next thing you know, you have T-shirts like... (laughs) <laughs> Who killed nice guy, Eddie?
0: <laughs> yeah. And it, and it works because it gets people talking about his films. Like he, he's, yeah. he's a really brilliant guy. Did you have the soundtrack? Uh, we've talked about this in the past, how 90s was a great era for some movie soundtracks. I had this soundtrack and loved it. And it actually was a, I think it went like platinum. I don't know actually what it went to, but like it sold really, really well. And people were listening to music like surfer music that people generally didn't really well listen to all that often.
1: Yeah. And it really goes weird with like the, the tension and violence. Mm-hmm. of This movie is like this kind of sixties surfer music. Um, and I think he used that sense. I, I was thinking cause the nineties had a lot of these kind of really good transgressive independent mo- films, right? It was a
0: good era for independent
1: films. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if this movie kicked that off, but it's, it seems like it cemented that kind of gritty, transgressive, independent film as a thing in the 90s. I think this movie maybe set the set the stage for that.
0: Could be. I wrote a script, a feature-length film script, heavily inspired by Quentin Tarantino style in regards to the fact that it's out of order. The first scene involves somebody getting shot. Uh Yeah. It's very heavily influenced by Tarantino. Well, you ought to send it to him, man. I should be like, dude, you inspired me to write this when I was in my twenties.
1: Yeah. Send it to him. And then, and then he'll be, it'll remind him of like his time in the nineties. Cause it'll be from you in the nineties. Yeah. And then he'll make that shit and you'll get some royalties. And then we'll <laughs> fund the eighties and nineties uncensored. Like we'll get some special effects in here and we'll make it suck. Cause we got too much money now. <laughs> One of those sound effects machines that we can yeah, just oh, tap
0: oh, every oh. once in a while to like yeah, make noises. <laughs> bing,
1: bing, bing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go. Bing, pew, pew. <laughs> yeah. But there it is. That's uh, yeah. If you haven't seen it, like, I, I don't know where you've been, but it's, this is a great movie. And again, he blew, uh, he blew, he didn't have to make a, like a gradual career. Like he blew it out of the water with this one. And then he, he, he's been doing it ever since. So good job, Quentin. Totally dude. Good job. We're fans. Love it. I think you should look at Milo's script. Now that we've. <laughs> him out your ass so
0: much. Shoot me an email, Quentin. I'll. Because
1: uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. we you know AF. you listen. We know you listen, dude. <laughs> Hey, of course you do. know, Come you're on. listening right now. Quentin Tarantino, there you get cat- up on Monday mornings and you got shit to do, but you're like, God, listen, my eighties, nineties, uncensored first. I know you do. He's so- got
0: a kid now. So he takes the kid in the stroller for a little walk
1: uh-huh. and he listens to it on his iPod, uh,
0: puts it on his iPod and uh, listens to us. Absolutely. yeah.
1: So, Hey, we know you do. You don't have to hide from us anymore. Quentin send us, um, me an email so i have your email address or message yep. i'll send you my script. Hey, or send it, we got a contact form on the 80s and 90s.com or go to twitter the 80s and 90s com and because we know you probably follow us there under some pseudonym and just give give us a message send us a dm and we'll send you Milo's script which means direct message yeah it does <laughs> <laughs> we, know. we know what that means <laughs>
0: That's it, 80s and 90s Uncensored listeners. If you haven't seen this movie, go check it out. We love it. My wife just watched it last night for the first time. In fact, I showed it. Yep, she was one of those people. Oh, my. And you still married her? Jeez. There's so many movies she hasn't seen. She's, yeah, terrible.
1: How can a cinephile marry someone who'd never seen Reservoir Dogs? If but She's it- a nice gal, though. It, so,
0: it's it's I mean. a, it's it's a it's a frustrating aspect of our relationship. Well, no, just it's a new adventure. Well, it gives me an excuse to watch movies like this again, right? I've seen I've yeah. seen this movie multiple times. And then
1: she thinks, "Wow, Milo knows all these great movies." Because- Except for she covered
0: her eyes during the torture scene and I'm like, "No, you have to watch this. This is the best freaking torture scene ever." And she's like, "No, I can't watch this." And I'm like, "No, watch it. <laughs> Who do you think you are, Wes Craven? Come on." <laughs> But yeah, I guess at least she didn't walk out. Anyway, 80s, 90s Uncensored listeners, she didn't walk out, but we did. And we are out of here like Mr. Pink, the only one smart enough to duck and make a run for it. Goodbye.
1: Yeah, he did. <laughs>
0: Although we got caught.
1: He did at the end. You're like, Mr. Pink, he's the one. But no, he didn't think about, hey, maybe the cops will kind of arrest me for doing really bad things. Should have went out the back door, man. Yeah. You know, now, now it's, uh, now it's prison love for the rest of your life. Bend over Red Rover.
0: More backdoor action, but this time he's going, getting
1: it in the back door. And say- <laughs> yeah. yeah, he is. <laughs>